just right off the get-go, um, to really, if you could, I know summertime hits and vacations begin to happen and the nice weather comes and people are like, you know what, I don't feel like going to church today. It's so nice outside. The, the nice days are so few and far between. So, you know, maybe I'll come next week. If I could encourage you to really make it a priority, if you're in town, to be here for each week of the series, I can promise you one thing. It won't be a waste of your time. I really believe that God wants to do some things in our church and in your lives in bringing us to the next level. Because how many of you know there's another level to get to in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Amen? There's always another step to take when you're following Him. Whether you've been following Him for 40 days or 40 years, He changes us from glory to glory. And there's always another place, another, another revelation, another thing He wants to show us. And so I believe He wants to take us into that next step as a church, and as a people. And so I hope you'll be here for each week of the series. So if you have your Bibles this morning and you want to follow along, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1. Felt like that would be a great place to start a series on the, you know, on the life of Joshua as we look at and talk about his life. Some of you may not know the Bible that well or know that there was a book named Joshua. And so it's the sixth book of the Bible if you're turning there. And what you need to understand as you're turning there is that Joshua, the book of Joshua, is not the first place we're introduced to Joshua. He actually appears earlier on in the scriptures. And for those of you that don't know, the Old Testament in our Bible is really, this is not just a collection of ancient documents. This is, you know, a story of a people that God chose to... Um, to really bless the world through bringing you know, the Messiah, bringing Jesus Christ through his chosen people, the Israelites. And the Old Testament kind of chronicles the journey and the story of the Jewish people and the Jewish race. Okay, so Abraham was called out by God saying, hey, I want you to leave this land and go to a land that I will show you. And ultimately, through his lineage, Jesus Christ would come into the world and redeem it from the mess that we had made of it. Uh, but a couple generations after Abraham, you know, we see uh, Jacob who would eventually uh, be renamed Israel. And he would have 12 sons. And uh, after a famine hits the land, they would relocate from where they were staying into the nation of Egypt. And I gave you a lot of the backdrop of Joshua's story a couple weeks ago when I preached a message called Marking the Miles. And we talked from Joshua chapter 4 about the time when they would cross the Jordan River. And so really we could look at that sermon as a part of this series, even though that was a couple weeks ago. Really, this could be a five-week series if we wanted it to be, but we're going to just back up a couple chapters as we kick this thing off today. And so for the benefit of those of you that may not have been here a couple weeks ago or may not be as familiar with the history of the Israelites throughout the Old Testament, I just kind of wanted to set the context for you so you have an understanding of who Joshua is and why he's such a hero of the faith um, that we look at in the Bible today. And so they would wind up in Egypt uh, because of a famine. And so uh, they began to really grow rapidly, multiply. And um, after you know, one Pharaoh passes away, the, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, are growing in such large numbers that the, the king of Egypt began, began to get nervous and was like, man, they keep multiplying this quickly. They're going to be in greater number than, than we will be, and maybe they'll overtake us. And so the Pharaoh of Egypt put the, uh, put the Israelites into slavery. For 400 years, that was the reality of the Israelite people. Can you imagine that just for a minute? 400 years. That's almost twice as long as we've been a nation. We've been a country for roughly 240 years. Can you imagine generation after generation for 400 years 
All you ever know is slavery. And so they would cry out to God, and God would hear their cry and would send a deliverer named Moses. Many of you know the story of Moses, who would go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh would say, heck no, you know, this is my workforce. I'm not going to let you go. And uh, through a series of miraculous events, 10 plagues that God does through Moses in front of Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh finally relents and says, get out of here, I've had enough of this. And so he lets the people go. And scholars believe that there were roughly two to three million people that exited Egypt at that time, and they head out into the wilderness. And here's the deal, what do you do with two to three million people as you're camping out in the wilderness? Over the course of about two years, they would eventually reach a land that God had promised to give their ancestors. That's why it's referred to or called the promised land. And I'm thinking about two years of camping in the wilderness. And I, you know, some of you may have enjoyed my, my posts on social media this week uh, as I attempted uh, a camping trip with my firstborn son this week at Spraybrook Park. And I realized I am not an outdoorsman. I tried camping for two days uh, in the wilderness. Yeah, right. Um, not far from home, half hour from home. And uh, I realized that sleeping and tent camping don't go hand in hand. Um, it just, yeah, it just didn't work. And so two years, though, they were in the wilderness, and finally they reached the edge of the promised land where Moses sends 12 spies into the land to kind of scope it out. Ten of those spies come back with a report based on fear. They're saying, they're giants in the land. We're going to get destroyed. You know, we should not go in there. But two spies come back with a report that says, man, God has really, really outdone himself. He gave us prime property, beachfront property, right on the coast of the Mediterranean. This is awesome. We should go in there. We should take this. God's with us. Those two spies were named Caleb and Joshua. Very good. You passed the test today, okay? Caleb and Joshua, full of faith, believing that God had given this to them. But majority rules, you know, the people of Israel side with the 10 who are, you know, afraid of what might happen if they tried to go into the land. And so God gets upset and he basically disciplines his people and says, because you did not believe that this is something that I was going to give to you, you can now wander in the wilderness for another 38 years. They wandered so long until basically the rest of that adult generation had died off into the wilderness, all except for two men, Caleb and Joshua. And so Moses knows it's time. He's about to die, and he calls Joshua, who was his aide. He was like the second in command, calls Joshua to himself and basically knights him and says, it's your turn now, Joshua. You're going to lead these people into the land. And most people, you know, if that's me in that scenario, or if that's you, if your boss, if the CEO of the company that you work for comes to you and says, you know what? I'm hanging it up. I'm retiring. I'm putting you in charge. We would be like, oh yeah, I got a raise. I got a promotion. Life is going to be good. I'm in charge, right? Not Joshua. Joshua starts freaking out. The same guy who 38 years earlier was, you know, rearing and ready to go and charge into the land all of a sudden has some doubts and some fears because this is not a gig that he's not sure he's ready for, you know, because these are some big shoes to fill. This is Moses we're talking about, who even to this day, most Jews believe that Moses was the greatest leader the nation of Israel had ever seen. Who wants to follow in that kind of footsteps? That's like trying to take over the Chicago Bulls after Jordan did his three-peat you know, championship after he came back from retirement. Nobody wants that gig. You can't live up to that. Those are big shoes to fill, which reminds me of like when my boys try to 
Um, you know, I've got several pictures of my boys. I've got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, and they put on daddy's shoes, and they're like, dad, look, where are you? You know, and they're clopping around on the, on the, you know, along the living room floor. Sometimes they even put Kelly's shoes on, you know, the high heels. They're like, look, dad, I'm mommy, you know. It's big shoes to fill, and I imagine maybe that is how Joshua feels in this moment. What if I fail? What if I can't live up to, you know, the same level of leadership that Moses was in. I can certainly relate with that to, to a degree. And so there's this transition that the nation of Israel is going through that Joshua is about to go through. And I want to take a look at his life and see what we might learn as a church about the transition that we've just gone through and maybe a transition that you might be facing in your life today as well. And so let's jump into Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, which says, After the death of Moses... The servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River. We read about that two weeks ago. Into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. Now you might want to highlight this next verse if you're following along. This is our key verse for today. He said, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. I'm going to give you every place you set your foot. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. He basically gives them the borders of the land that he was going to give them. And he says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. God basically tells Joshua, it's time. You've wandered in the wilderness long enough. It's time for you to take the land that I've promised to give your ancestors. Now, I know that none of us can probably relate to the situation that Joshua finds himself in today. Um, you're probably not homeless, and you're probably not hearing a message from God to go and lay siege to a house that belongs to someone else, and he's telling you to go in and evict them, kick them out, and take everything that they have as your own. I would not really encourage you to do that. That would not be advisable. Y'all are too serious this morning. Lighten up a little bit, okay? It's, it's all right to smile, laugh in church. Okay, it's not a sin. God won't strike you dead. Besides, I preach better if you respond. And so if you want to say an amen every now and then, all right, I think it'll go better for you today. But even though we may not be able to necessarily, you know, relate exactly with the situation that Joshua is in, I think there are some definite parallels that we can learn from Joshua's life into the situations that we face in our lives today. Because perhaps for Joshua, maybe the ask was just simply too much. To follow in Moses' footsteps that, oh, by the way, to go in and remove the nations that are occupying that land, living in fortified cities with a bunch of unproven and inexperienced men. Because remember, the previous adult generation died off in the wilderness. And so you've got these kids that have grown up into men that have never experienced combat that are going to be the ones that help you fight and take this land as your own? You know, we all have times in our lives where we come up against and will face seemingly insurmountable odds. We will have some territory that God tells us he is calling us to take. And maybe you feel 
Like you're coming out of a season of the wilderness. Like the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years and maybe it feels like you've been in a dry, arid place with no life and no fruit. Maybe you feel like that today. And a time right now, maybe today is the day that God is calling you like he did to Joshua. It's time to go into the land. It's time to come out of the desert and into the promise that I have for you. So like Joshua, we all have times where we struggle to step into what is next for our lives. But whether you've been following Jesus, like I said earlier, for 40 minutes or 40 years, there's always a next step to take. And for some of us here today, I think today is the day that we take our next step in following him. God's calling some of you to stretch your faith. He's calling you to take some land. He's calling you to fight for the promise, to go to another level. So what's he calling you to do that fear might be holding you back from? Because he's always asking us to take another step as we follow him. Maybe he has laid it on your heart to simply just invite someone to church. And you've been afraid to because, you know, you don't want to be seen as a religious weirdo. You don't want to be seen as somebody who's just like overbearing in this religious nut job or, or zealot, you know. Maybe you're looking at another job. I don't know that might seem appealing, but it's a little scary because you're not sure how it's going to turn out. Maybe he's calling you to lead a small group. I don't know what step he's asking you to take, but has fear been keeping you? Because listen, the only thing, the biggest thing that will keep us from stepping into the promises that God has for us is fear. It's fear. It's such a huge but crippling emotion. Fear is something that's going to keep us on the wrong side of the Jordan and keep us from going into the things that God has planned and promised for us. Do you know that God wants to use you? Do you know that God has a plan for your life? You don't just exist. You don't just take up space. You don't just have a job. God wants to use you in the life that you have, but it will stretch you. It will challenge you. You'll have to cross some rivers. You'll have to go into some new territory that you've never seen before and have to fight some battles that are going to test your resolve that will make you question whether or not you have what it takes to do what he's called you to do. But God wants to use you and he has a plan for your life. And listen, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not even sure you believe that there is a God, it doesn't matter if you believe in him or not. It doesn't change the fact that he created you and placed you on this planet on purpose for a purpose. So it's okay if you're here questioning whether or not there's a creator. The sad truth, though, is that many people never discover or fully realize the purpose that God has placed them here. Because number one, they're either, they never place their faith or their trust in him and they never follow him, or they're too afraid to do what he's asked them to do. Because taking a step and following Jesus can be scary. Whenever we enter a new season of life, it can be scary. We just honored graduates this morning. That can be a scary time of life as they enter a new chapter and go off to college and, you know, they're out from under the umbrella of mom and dad's, you know, protection and, you know, they're trying new things and, you know, they went from being the senior at high school and, and being on the top to all of a sudden coming in on the bottom rung again and not sure, you know, who their friends are going to be and are they going to fit in and, you know, how am I going to do and it's scary, you know, I get that. Or maybe you're facing a new season of being single after being married for a number of years. That can be a scary next chapter. Maybe you're facing a job opportunity, like I said. 
Maybe you've lost a job and you're not sure if or when you're going to find a new job. It can be scary. When your kids move out, maybe some of you are in a season right now where your kids are now leaving the nest and you're faced with the reality of like, wow, the last 20 years of my life have been spent you know, in the role of a, of a dad or a mom and who am I once my kids are gone? Maybe you're in an empty nest and, and, and that thought of what comes next is a little bit scary for you. We all have moments in our lives when we follow Jesus where he says, it's time for us to move forward. But fear is right there at the door that wants to keep us from crossing over the Jordan. Can I tell you something? You know, Joshua was scared too. So God gave him a promise. And this was the promise. I I told you to highlight this verse in verse three. I want to point your attention to it again. He says this in verse three, because Joshua was scared. And so he gives him this promise. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. I'll give you every place that you set your foot. I want you to notice something about this verse. So there's a condition and there's a tense to this verse. God says, I will give you. It's future tense. But when was he going to give it to him? When he stepped into it. That's the condition. Okay, in other words, when you step into it, then God will give it. When you step into it, then God will give it. See, God didn't just give Joshua or the people the promised land by wiping out all of the inhabitants for them so they could just walk right in. God gave it to them as they stepped into it. We need to get this because so often what we want to do as followers of Jesus Christ is we want the reverse of this. We want God to do things for us, then we will do what he asks of us right? We want God to do his part, then we'll do our part. God, show me where you want me to go, then I'll go. God, if you could just improve our financial situation, if you could just help me get a raise, then I'll start tithing. God, if you would just help my husband to to love me a little bit better or to to treat me nicer, then, then I'll love him the way you've called me to love him or vice versa. God, if you would just If you would really just help me pass this class, I promise I'll apply myself a little bit more next semester. God, if you just help me get this dream job and we can get things situated, I promise then I'll be more committed in church. Can I just say something to you today? It never works this way with God. We want God to do for us before we do for him. But if we follow Jesus, then as you know, we're called to live by faith and not by sight. Think about all of the you know, stories and examples throughout Scripture where this was the case. All throughout history, when we step into what God calls us to do, then we see the victory. Think about Noah. Hey, Noah, build a boat. Why, God? It's never rained. Build a boat because it's going to save you and your family. Maybe, God, could you just send a few raindrops so that I know it's going to come? Build a boat, right? Abraham, hey, why don't you pack your things Take your family to a land that I will show you. Want to give me a clue where we're going, God? I'll tell you when you get there. Right? We do our part, then God shows us. The Israelites, I talked to you a couple weeks ago, right? They came to the Jordan River, which was flooded at the time. And just a couple chapters from where we just read. And I'm sure Joshua was thinking, hey, God, it would be really cool if you did what you did, you know, a few years ago with the Red Sea when Moses just held up his staff and the waters parted and we walked across on dry ground. Can we just, can we do that again? And God's like, it's not going to work that way this time. 
I want you to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And I want you to step into the river. Then the waters will part. We do our part, then God does his part. God doesn't clear out the promised land for you to just walk in and not have to take it. I'm sure Joshua might have been thinking to himself, at least I would have been, hey God, you know what would be really nice? If you just give me the deed and I'll send a copy of it to all the inhabitants of the land with an eviction notice and give them like 30 days to vacate the premises, you know? Can you, can you just give me a copy of the deed and I'll, I'll send it out? That's how we wish, you know, God would do it for us. But God, did ever, God doesn't ever just give us the deed. He gives us a dream. It's not just the deed he gives us. He gives us a dream, right? Think about Joseph's life. He didn't give Joseph the throne. He gave him a dream that one day he would be a ruler. But he had to go through a pit and a prison to get there. You know, God didn't just give us this church and the buildings on this property out of nowhere. He gave Pastor Craig a dream to start a church. He gave me a dream too. You know, he didn't give me this, this pulpit to preach to 250 people each weekend. I had to start serving years ago in places that no one would notice. I had to submit myself to the leaders in my life and allow myself to be developed and trained up. I had to decide to switch majors when I was in college to prepare myself for what I believed God had called me to do, which was to preach the word of God. I started out as an accounting major, believe it or not, and switched to biblical studies. I had to decide five years ago to risk it all and leave behind a great career, a great job with great benefits, you know, life insurance, 401k, all that stuff, to move to Columbus where I wasn't sure if I would make enough money to provide for my family. I had to take a step and trust God. And then three years later, I had to make the decision to move back to Buffalo when we were completely content to stay where we were in Columbus because we loved our life there. He didn't just give me the deed to this building. He gave me a dream, and I had to go after it. God's going to give you a dream, but you're not going to see the realization of the vision until you take a step. you got to step on it. You have to step into what God has for you. So everyone say, step on it. Say it again. Say, step on it. Because that's what I'm going to teach you about today. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about this concept of stepping into the things that God has for you. God told Joshua, I will give it to you, but you got to set your foot on it first. Now, I'm sure that sounded really great to Joshua and all, but can we be honest? It was a lot harder than it sounded, wasn't it? You know, because they had huge nations you know, in fortified cities living there. And it wasn't like these nations were rolling out the red carpet for the Israelites. Hey, come on in. We'll let you have all of our stuff. You know, we'll, we'll find another spot to live. You, you guys can take this. It wasn't happening. But what we often forget is that when God is with us, it doesn't matter how bad the odds are. It doesn't matter how big the enemy is, right? He's with us. He's promised to give, a, give us the land everywhere we set our foot. So Joshua, he's nervous, he's discouraged, he's afraid. And so in verse 5, it's, he says this to Joshua, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you and never forsake you. 
I love that. I wish as Christ followers we would embrace this truth of this passage that no one would be able to stand against us. I wish we would realize that God has already given us the victory in areas that we already feel defeated. Yes, we know the verse that says we have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but I wish we would realize that our God has already defeated him. We've already got the victory. Because to me, when you think about it, Satan is nothing more than a bully, right? He's a bully. There's something about bullies that just, when I see instances of someone being bullied, I get this, this anger that rises up in me. I don't know if anyone else is like that, but for me at least, it's because I was kind of bullied when I was a kid. When I was in high school, you know, I was kind of a scrawny kid, really skinny, didn't have a ton of friends, you know, and there was this uh, real popular kid, and, and what made matters worse is he was an underclassman. He was actually a year below me, but because he was popular, he was, you know, athletic and had a lot of friends. He was bigger than me. He would pick on me, right? I tried out for the football team, and uh, he would, you know, trip me. He would gang up on me with his friends, make fun of me. Uh, if he was walking behind me in the hallway, you know, he would grab my book bag and throw me down to the floor, open up my book bag so all my books would fall out into the hallway and, and, and laugh at me. And, and so now when I see instances of bullying, it just, this, this anger rises up in me. And, and don't think I'm horrible for, for saying this. Don't judge me, okay? But that's why I kind of get this sense of like, I don't know, satisfaction when I see those videos that are on Facebook or the internet of, you know, the one who's been bullied kind of has had enough and they turn the tables on the one that's picking on them and they just give them a piece of their own medicine, right? They just like throw a whooping on them and it's just like, sometimes with a bully, that's what you've got to do. The best way to deal with a bully is to stand up to them. You know, I'm not advocating for violence here, but when it comes to our spiritual enemy every now and then, you've just got to pop Satan in the nose, punch him in the face, right? Because he's a bully, he uses fear to intimidate us because the, 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 the greatest weapon a bully has is not his physical threat. It's not his size. It's his intimidation. He wants to get you to quit before you ever get started. He wants you to think that you don't have what it takes to do what God has called you to do. He uses fear to intimidate you. And here's a great way to realize what fear is. This is an acronym I learned years and years ago. Fear is false evidence appearing real. F-E-A-R. False evidence appearing real. He will try to convince you of things that are not real and make you think that they are to get you to not pursue the things that God's called you to do. But you got to stand up to a bully. How do you do that, though? Right? This is, this is not like we're swinging in the air, right? Because we don't have, this is not a physical fight that we're in. This is a spiritual fight. Ephesians talks about the weapons, the armor that we have to protect ourselves in this fight. And Paul talks about each, you know, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, things to protect us. But most of those articles of clothing are defensive. But he says there's one offensive weapon. What is that? It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When we're discouraged, when we're defeated, we've got to pick up our sword and fight against the bully with the power that is in God's word. 
This is not, like I said earlier, this is not just a collection of ancient documents. This is, this is God's story to us. This is his character revealed to us. This is how we get to know God. There is power in the word of God. How many of you know that when God speaks, there is power? God opened his mouth and the world was formed. God opened his mouth and the sun, moon, and stars were put in their place. There is power in the word of God. But here's the deal. That power is never realized if it never gets from here to here. Many Christians walk around defeated because they don't have the power of God's word tucked in their heart. God's word is powerful. And that's why God spoke to Joshua in the next couple of verses. God saw that Joshua was feeling discouraged and defeated. So he said to him, and look at verse 7 as we continue. He says, be strong and very courageous again. He said it in verse 6. He says it again in verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. But be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law on your lips. Now for Joshua, the book of the law for us would be the first five books of our Bible. That was Joshua's Bible. It's called the Pentateuch or the Torah. The first five books of the Bible was what God spoke to his people through Moses. Keep this book of the law always on your lips and meditate on it day and night so that you can be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. See, God said to Joshua, I've given you everything you need to do what I've called you to do, and it's found in my word. What we need more than anything else is to know this, not just read it, but I would say marinate on it, meditate on it, memorize it. You need to get into this word, and you need to get this word into you. You need to get it so deep into your spirit so that when you're bullied, you know how to fight back. Because did you know that Jesus was bullied too? Right before Jesus entered public ministry, when he was 30 years old, he spent 40 days in the wilderness, which is interesting to me because Joshua and the Israelites had just spent 40 years in the wilderness. And perhaps you're in a season right now where you feel like it's been 40 years of dry, desert, no life, no fruit. And oftentimes that's when the bully, our enemy, comes and attacks us the most, when we're weak, when we're discouraged. But when Jesus was bullied by Satan in the wilderness, what did he say? It is written. He said, let me get my sword. Let me get my sword. Let me fight you with a weapon that's powerful. Every time the enemy brought an accusation against Jesus, he replied with the word of God. And how many of you know that if the son of God needed to quote scripture to fight the enemy, how much more so will we need to use the scripture when the enemy comes to intimidate and bully us? We've got to get this word into us. Because when you get into God's word and God's word gets into you, it changes you and you have a powerful weapon to fight against him. Because David was bullied by Goliath too. The whole nation of Israel listened for 
40 days to this giant from Gath named Goliath, which is interesting. 40 years in the wilderness. David and the Israelites were taunted by 40 days by the Philistine. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. And David, little shepherd boy, comes along bringing some food to his brothers. And he hears this uncircumcised Philistine taunting the nation of Israel, saying, hey, send out your best fighting man to come and face me. And whoever wins, they get to be the master. All right, if you beat us, we'll be your servants. But if I kill your best fighting man, then you will be our servants. And David hears this and he, he gets indignant. He has that thing rise up in him and says, no, we're not going to be bullied. Why was David not afraid when the rest of the Israelites were? Because he knew his God. He knew his God. So when he came out to fight the giant, do you know what he said? He said, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. You know, there is power in the name of Jesus. Not just in the word of God, but in the name of God. There is so much power in the name of God that it was, it was something that they wouldn't even vocalize. They wouldn't even speak out loud. It was so holy, so, so separate from them, so powerful that they wouldn't even speak the name of God. Romans 10, 17, Paul says this, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Simply calling on his name saves you. And how many of you know that if calling on the name of God is powerful enough to change your eternity, it's also powerful enough to alter your destiny? There's power in the name of Jesus. But so many people think then, well, all I gotta do then is just pray in the name of Jesus and that fixes everything, right? Well, I tried that and it doesn't work. So, so what's the deal? Well, what we need to understand is that not just, it's not just about calling on his name. It's about receiving his name because there's a difference. Let me explain it to you this way. Maybe you'll understand it, especially if you're married. You know, 11 plus years ago when I married Kelly, her name was Kelly Poole. And she got to upgrade from, you know, a cool, refreshing name like Poole to the awesome Polish name of Jankowski. And she got so much more than she had bargained for when she married me. But when, she, when we got married, when we became one, she took my name. She assumed a new identity, and everything that I had became hers as well. And when we call on the name of Jesus as the church, we are called the bride of Christ. We become one with him. We take his name, okay? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So you're not the same person that has failed in the past. You're not the same person that always has succumbed to temptation, Something new has come to you. You have a new name and a new authority that goes along with it. We just have to walk in it. Paul also said in Philippians that at the name of Jesus, every, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is an authority in the name of Jesus. And so God says to Joshua, I know you're freaking out. I know you're afraid of this unknown season, this transition that lies in front of you and the battles that are waiting for you. But you don't need to be because no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Can we not receive that today? 
Listen, when you're doing whatever it is God has called you to do or inspired you to do, then you need to have the confidence to know that nothing and no one will be able to stand against you or keep you from accomplishing it. Nothing will stand against you. Except maybe yourself. Because I firmly believe that the greatest battle that Joshua would have to face would not be the battles of the enemies he would face in the promised land. But I think it would be the battle in his own soul. I'm sure Joshua was afraid of messing up. We can see that. We hear that throughout this passage. What if I mess up? What if I attack the wrong city first? What if we fall into an ambush and we're overwhelmed? What if he had to battle the fear within himself, which is why God said to him in verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you. And get this, say the next three words with me. Wherever you go. God is with you wherever you go. God had to remind him of this over and over again. He said three times in four verses, be strong and courageous. Why did he have to repeat this so many times? Because he was afraid. He was discouraged. You don't say to somebody who's happy, hey, don't be sad. God is telling Joshua to not be afraid so many times because he is afraid. He's trying to encourage him. He's trying to raise his faith to let him know that he's with him and he doesn't need to be afraid. God reminds Joshua that he's the one that's called him to do this. He's the one who's going to empower him. And if he sent him, he will lead him. And I believe that this is true for all of us too. Like Joshua, the greatest battle that we're going to face is the one right up here in our own minds. So often we defeat ourselves before we ever take a step or get started. Like Joshua, we play the what if game. What if I fail? What if I don't have what it takes? What what if, you know, I don't, I picked the wrong house or, or the wrong city? What if I picked the wrong college graduate? So many people stress out and freak out over which college should I go to or what career should I take? What if I choose the wrong career? What if I am not, what if I don't have what it takes to serve in ministry? What you need to know today is that if God is with you, it doesn't matter because he's going to be with you wherever you go. So it doesn't matter if you go to the left or to the right, he's going to be with you. It doesn't matter if you choose this college or that college because he's going to be with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. So what God said to Joshua to encourage him, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I want to encourage you today. I believe God sent me to declare to you, as I was with Joshua, so I will be with you and I will be with you wherever you go. Wherever you set your foot, I will give it to you. So what does it mean for us to know that every place we set our foot, God's given it to us? That means when we go into work tomorrow morning, we don't go with our heads held low and discouraged and defeated. We go in there with confidence to know that God has already given me success in this place. He's placed me here for a purpose and I have victory. When you step into your next season as a new mom or a new dad, you know that he's given it to you. When you step into a new career or a new college, graduates, he's with you wherever you go. He's given you victory and success. When you step into a new marriage or a new ministry, God is with you. He's given you success. But listen, 
You've got to step on it. You've got to step on it. So say step on it this morning. There was a time when Jesus had to step on it too. Did you know that? I'm getting ready to close, but I want to show you something real quick. This is such a beautiful picture. Okay, I believe there's a powerful truth that we need to understand about our feet. Yes, I said our feet today. Do you know that all throughout Scripture, our feet are sometimes used as an analogy for authority? Because did you know that the, the first prophecy about Jesus was concerning his feet? You know, there was a curse that God gave Satan in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, when Satan came through a serpent to deceive Adam and Eve to partake of the fruit that God had forbidden them from partaking of. And he would say to the certain serpent, he said, you're going to strike his heel. In other words, there's going to time when I'm going to send my son and you're going to think you've won. When nails go into his hands and his feet, you're going to bruise his heel. But what I want you to know, Satan, is that when you think you've won, three days later, I'm going to bring him back from the grave and he is going to crush your head. Jesus stepped on the head of the enemy and he defeated him. There is authority in the name of Jesus. And here's the deal. If you're in him and he's in you and you have his name, you have the same authority. You have the same authority, mom, dad, over what your kid is doing. You have the same authority over that addiction that's been controlling your life. You have the same authority in your life if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Which is why the writer of Hebrews said this in Hebrews 2. He said, what is mankind that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. But listen to this. But you crowned him with glory and honor. And you put everything under his feet. God has already given us authority over everything we face. He's put everything under your feet. You need to receive that today. But we just have to walk in it. We have to step on it. We've got to step on it. That's why Paul said in Romans 16 that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So is there anyone here today that wants to take authority over the thing that's been bringing fear into your life? Is there anyone here today that wants to step on the thing that's been controlling you and keeping you defeated? Is there anyone here today that wants to step on that? If that's you here today, I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to end today a little bit differently. Go ahead, stand to your feet because you can't step on it when you're sitting down. The only one sitting down right now is Jesus because he finished what he started. It says in Hebrews that when he finished his sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. But then he waits for the enemies to be made his footstool. So you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Okay? Satan is under your feet. So we are going to step on him today. So here's what we're going to do, church. In a moment, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I want you to lift your foot and I want you to stomp it. But here's what I want you to know, okay? When you set your foot on the ground, when you stomp your foot, when I count to three, I want you to think in your mind about whatever it is that's been keeping you from going into the promises that God has for you. Whatever it is that's been keeping you bound up and afraid, I want you to think about that. And when I count to three, I want you to step on it. So is there anyone here today that wants to step on the addiction that's been holding you back? Is there anyone here today that wants to step on the thing that's been destroying your marriage? Is there anyone here today that wants to step into the calling and the promises that God has for your life? Is there anyone here today? Maybe not. 
Somebody needs, maybe try over here. Is there anyone here today that's excited about stepping into the plans that God has for them? All right, I want to shake the ground in this place. I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I want to feel the floor rumble, okay? We're going to step on it. So ready, church? One, two, three. Step on it. One, two, three. Step on it. Don't let fear hold you back. Step on it. Whatever the next phase of your life is, step on it. So we're going to worship him today, church. We're going to close this thing out by knowing and declaring that our God is fighting for us. Always. Let's step on it.